two and a half weeks in. So if you're fasting, stuff like that, then um, it's almost halfway, kind of. One more week is next, it's halfway. And uh, it's actually an awesome journey. Lent in the ancient church was the time that you were prepared to go into the church, actually. It was the time of catechism, meaning teaching, to teach you all the things about Jesus that you need to know before you enter into the church. And if you've been a Christian for a while or years or whatever, it's a great time to kind of revisit everything and to go into it again and go, but who is Jesus and what does it mean in my life and why am I choosing this path and why am I on this journey and to kind of remember again who you are and what this all is about. So tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about the new economy. So there's two texts. The first one is Luke 13. So if you want to turn there, it'd be really, really cool. It's a kind of a... It's the, it, it looks at in Jesus is not the, the, like the Jesus that we like. Like, the Jesus we like is the one with the kids and the, the one that, you know, eats and drinks wine and, you know, spends time with prostitutes and sinners. And that's like the Jesus that we all like and, like, heals people. And this is like a Jesus that we don't like in Luke 13 because it's, he, he, like, very angry and strict and, like, it's not so nice to read. So it's one of those that you normally skip and go, oh, no, I'm sure it has some very deeper meaning that I don't understand, so I'm just not going to read it. Um, so Luke 13, Jesus talks about judgment. <clears throat> so uh, from verse 1, let me just make sure that I'm in the right spot. Yeah, from verse 1, it says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So just to kind of, that little piece. So uh, Herod, was it Pilate or Herod there? Pilate. Pilate executed some people and mixed their blood in with sacrifices. So this was like a very Game of Thrones kind of world or episode, if you want to go there. So, and uh, Jesus then says, do you think these people were sinners? He goes, no, they weren't sinners. And, but if you don't repent, your fate will be just as, you will also perish. You will also die. So it sounds as very kind of judgmental, you need to repent. And in our minds, repentance often means to stop doing your private sins. So normally there's like a couple of sins that are your kind of personal sins. Drinking too much, having sex with people you're not married to, and, uh, you know, stealing money from your work or, you know, something like that. So, or dancing, depending on what church you're in. <laughs> so there's always like, you know, a friend of mine, mentor of mine, he always says, it's always like the sin of the week. You know, whatever the Dominion or the pastor or the teacher has decided, now this is the sin of the week, and now it's social media or whatever, and now that's a sin and you need to repent from it. So repentance means much more than that. Like the word in Hebrew is teshuvah, which we talk about here often. It means to return, to return to the way you are supposed to be, right? To return to your true self, to return to the way that God intended things to be. And what's just underneath this text is that there was a lot of, the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah to come and save them from the Romans. And these Galileans got in trouble with Pilate for some reason. Maybe they rebelled or maybe they were 
I don't know, trying to overthrow him or something, and he chopped their heads off and mixed their blood with sacrifices or whatever. So Jesus is also saying in this little text that if you don't stop this rebellion against Rome, this kind of violent rebellion, you will also perish. You will go the same way as these people are going. And he does this kind of double take in the teaching, saying that these people had, didn't have, they weren't worse sinners. That's not why bad things happen. So if ever you get into a conversation with somebody that goes, well, you know what? That person had, they've got cancer because, you know, they're a worse sinner than anybody else. Or stuff like that happens because somebody is a really bad sinner or they did something bad in their life. That's why it, it happened to them. This is kind of the go-to text to kind of dispel that argument to go, well, Jesus said it's not. And then he takes a second piece about the people. There was a big tower, and the tower fell over, and lots of people died. And he said, these people, these people weren't sinners. That's not the reason it happened. It just happened. But, and at the same time, he uses, he uses those two arguments to say that you still need to make a choice. You still need to make a choice and repent and return and go back to the way that it's supposed to be. So then, <clears throat> then he tells a parable, verse 6. Then he told this parable. Can you all hear me, like, properly? Anyway, okay, cool. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree. Fig tree, whenever you read a fig tree in Scripture, it's always a symbol for Israel. Always. Like, it's always Israel equals a fig tree. Right? So you can always think that. Uh, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Then he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on the tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So Jesus tells a parable that reinforces the point. He goes, you have one more year to make a, to make a choice to repent, to return. There's more, there's a little bit of more grace here. There's a time for you to choose. And that's what Jesus is saying in this little parable. So we're going to skip to another text in today's, today's lecture. It's Isaiah 55. Can I have it on there? Yeah. Isaiah 55 verse 1 to 9. So this is a, Isaiah is like a popular book for people to take verses from in, if you want to know if your life is going to go really, really well. Right? So if you want to go, Jesus is with me, everything's going to be awesome, you just read Isaiah, especially like the second part of it, and just feel better, and it all feels good, because Jesus is going to help you, and it's going to be amazing. Right? So also a popular book for people who want to get married, and they're looking for promises. (laughs) So um, Isaiah 55, but there's obviously, as there always is, a lot more to Isaiah than just pretty promises. So Isaiah writes to a group of people who are in exile in Babylon, right? So these are people, the people that were taken in exile were the elite. So all the wealthy people and the priests and all of these people, you don't go and take all the slaves and the common people into exile. You take all the elite and the scholars and the professors and all those kind of people, you take into exile. So all those people were in exile. So they were living in Babylon. And if you read books like Daniel, it wasn't all that bad in Babylon, Right? People were pretty, doing pretty well. They, were, they had houses, they had fields, they had vineyards. They were kind of part of that society and part of this economy, part of this Babylonian economy. And if you 
so, and Bub, and so their struggle was to be part of a, an economy, but still keep their Jewishness, to still keep their unique identity, to be part of something that is not the way that you were taught things are supposed to be, but it's actually kind of good for you in a way, but you're actually still different from it. So they're in this kind of tension all the time. And this is what, this is what Isaiah is speaking into, like writing almost this call for them to say, you know what, remember who you are, and remember that you need to come back. Remember that this economy and this place that you're in, it's not something that is life-giving. You need to come back and you need to remember who you are. So this is what Isaiah is actually, is actually trying to talk about. So Isaiah 55, it's a beautiful text. <clears throat> it says, Come all you, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and you labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will <coughs> summon the nations you know not, and nations that you do not know will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. See, for he has endowed you with splendor. So, go on. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So also like a popular verse to quote when somebody's child is dying or somebody, something horrible has happened to people and the people go, you know what, God's ways is higher than your ways. Meaning, meaning something stupid like, oh, you don't know why God is taking your father with cancer. Like, he just does what he does, right? Which is a terrible way to read scripture. So <clears throat> if you, this is a lot of text. So if Isaiah says, you are, you are in a place where your work is coming to nothing, right? You labor for something that is not giving you anything back. You're buying food, but it's not satisfying you. You're in this economy that is not working, that is just taking from you. And where, so it contrasts, you should, I should actually go and read it again. It contrasts two ways. The economy of, of Babylon and, the, and God's economy. Saying that God's economy, you come and you buy wine and milk and bread and meat and everything for free with no money. Where in Babylon's economy, you labor for something that's not giving you something back. Your labor is in vain. You're working hard for something that's not actually satisfying. You're buying food that's not actually satisfying. And God is saying, come back, come back to my place. Come back to my place of grace and mercy. And says that God will give you mercy if you choose to come back now. Because his ways is different than the ways that you are following now. His ways is the way of grace and the way of mercy where there's abundance. And your way is the way of <clears throat> where you have to labor and where there's scarcity and where it's difficult. Right? Where there's consumption 
where there's consumption and like we were talking last week, I was talking about how, how we um, consume and consume and consume and it's not satisfying. And this text, if you want to do the kind of parallel study, is saying just that, saying that our world has an economy that works on consumption, production and consumption, give and take, right? And God's economy is not like that. God's economy is about abundance and grace and love and life overflowing, where about our world is about comparing and how much do you have and there's not enough and there's never enough. And where God is saying to those people back then, but also to us, come to this side. Come to my way where there's abundance and where there's wine overflowing and milk and bread for free. Not this place where you labor and where it's not satisfying. And I, in, in Lent, we all, we all are faced with a choice again to say, are you going to live the way of the world that is about fighting for your little place in the sun and climbing the ladder and working and working for something that is actually not satisfying. A com- consuming and consuming and consuming and the next new thing and the next new thing and the next new thing and keeping on comparing yourself with all your mates and everybody at work and saying, but now we're like 27 and we've all been working for a couple of years and that guy's already driving a Range Rover and I'm still driving my messed up little Chico and now and I'm going, I need to work harder, but it's actually not satisfying. And it's this chasing and this laboring in vain, trying to be part of this economy and trying to live in this foreign land and it's not satisfying. And God is standing on the outside and saying, come this way. There's milk and bread and everything for free. There's a life of abundance and it's beautiful. And there's still time. My mercy is still here. And this is where all the parables and everything kind of link in, where Jesus says, you know what? Just give them another year. Just give the fig tree another year. I'll go in and I'll like dig up the ground around it and I'll put extra fertilizer in and I'll make it work. I'll make them like, I'll get them to bear fruit. Just give it, give it some more grace. Just give it some more time. And where Isaiah is saying the same thing, where God is saying, I'm still here. There's still time. Just come back to me. There's still mercy. There's still grace. You can choose to live in a different way. You can choose not to live this kind of hard and terrible life, where you can choose to, you know, live well. And that for me is becoming, and at this point in my life, is becoming more and more of a bigger question, is how do, I, how do I live well? How do I live a life that is filled with peace and with grace and that is not hard? I, I think it was a year or two ago, there was a woman here and she told Marina, and she said, you get two kinds of old people, just two. You get the really soft, squishy ones, right? You just want to go up to them and go, mm, yeah. and they always have like, you know, sweets or cake with them, and they're always like hugging everybody, and, you know, they're like, and their house is always open, and it's like warm and beautiful, and, you know, you just want to like dive into them and like kind of, you get those kind of old people. And then you get the other type of old people that are hard, like rocks, right? And their eyes are just like dead. And they have frown lines like this, and really deep like foreheads, and they're like angry. Right? Am I right? Can you imagine those two old kind of? And she said that day when she was standing here, she was like, you choose, you can choose today what type of old person you want to be. Right? Do you want to be the soft, squishy one? 
or do you want to be like the hard one? Because everything that you do in your life will build up to that. And you will end up either as a hard old man or a bitter old woman or like as a soft, soft, squishy granny or a delightful grandfather. And you need to choose that today. And this is what Jesus is, I think this is what God is inviting everybody into, going, we have a different economy. We, live on a di- we don't live in an economy that's like, how much do you have? I'll give you this if you give me that. You, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. This kind of quid pro quo kind of vibe. God's one is going, I've got grace. There's abundance. It doesn't look like the world. I think so many times in, our, in my life and in our life, we go, <clears throat> Rioletta and I would stand and stare at one another and going, how can God be this gracious to us? How massive. Like, we really like really good whiskey, right? And uh, we have so many good single malts in our cupboard. If you ever come to our house, you can come drink single malts like all the time, right? I have never bought a single malt whiskey in my life. I think I bought one as a gift, maybe two. We just get given them like all the time. Maybe it's because I preach about it all the time, but (laughs) it's just there. So we live this, and it's happened like so many times where we just live this abundant life. We were yeah, we were in, I mean, the most beautiful place. All of the people at that table, almost all of them, <laughs> were at this beautiful wedding not a couple of weeks ago. And we were, Roulette and I were standing there going, how? It's, it, it's so, it was so beautiful, this venue that we were at, that you just want to, like, vomit. It's so great. <laughs> like, it's, it's beyond beautiful. And the, it's like in Stellenbosch, in Kelsrefeed, and it looks over this valley, and you see the mountains, and we're sitting there eating this beautiful food, and the wine, and the beer, and everything is on the house, and we were going there, this is insane. How blessed, and how fortunate, and how beautiful are we? And I'm going, my bank account is shot, and here I'm sitting eating fillet, and drinking this wine, and going, how does this even make sense? Like, because that's just who God is. And it's, it's in this weird way. We're going, our economy tells you your bank account needs to be this much. It needs to be that much. And I'm going, I have a lot of shoes, right? <laughs> this is weird. I have a lot of shoes. I haven't bought a single pair in years. In, in years. Shoes just come across my path for some reason. There was like a long, I think it was a long time ago. Like, I didn't have enough money for shoes. And I went to God, I was like, I really, I really need, like, a pair of shoes. I have so many shoes right now that I, I give them away. Like, there's, like, people, I have, like, a box in our garage filled with shoes. That when people come and they beg, they, a guy showed up at our door the other day. He had no shoes on. He was, like, wearing socks. He was walking. They were, like, hot and, and they were terrible. Because what happens is when people tend to sleep, so other people seal their shoes. This often happens when, when with homeless people. So I was like, here's a box. I have like a whole box of shoes. And I was like handing out shoes. Some of them are still like in the actual boxes because I haven't worn them. And I just give them away to people, which is so, so cool. And this is just who God is. Like I, I have no money, but I have like all these shoes. <laughs> Isn't that great? Because that's just how God works in this weird way. And that's what he's inviting us all kind of into, this strange, abundant life of grace and peace. I think that's my next slide. That doesn't make sense. Grace is something that doesn't, like it doesn't compute. 
when God goes, yeah, you can have all of this. You can go on this crazy weekend to Cape Town and drink all this wine and everything, and you don't have to spend a dime, and it's awesome. You go, what? But why are you doing this? He goes, because it's who I am. It's just abundant. And if you read the stories in Luke, when he goes further, the prodigal son, which is actually the story of the prodigal God. It used to be titled the prodigal God. And uh, prodigal means wasteful. Like, so the son is wasteful, like he wastes all his father's money. But in the story, the father is also wasteful. He, like, wastes his grace and his generosity. So he's just extravagantly graceful and extravagantly wasteful and generous. And this is who God is. And this is what he's inviting everybody into. Going, I'm inviting you into an economy of grace and peace. Grace is unmerited, fa- un- unmerited fa- favor, joy. I love this, this definition, it's so beautiful. It says, grace is the absolutely free expression of the love of God. Isn't that beautiful? And then peace, the Hebrew word is shalom. It means harmony, every kind of good. It means peace right now. So when Paul writes his letters, he always says, starts it with grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. And this is who God is. This is who he's inviting in. And... Um, <clears throat> I don't think we can even begin to understand how big God's grace is. In this week, I kid you not, my, my mother-in-law, she's about 70-something, and they've got a little um, small group, home group, and the one guy in the group is like arguing about whether or not if a three-year-old dies, they go to hell or heaven. And I'm going, you're 75, are you kidding me? Are you like still arguing that's the question that you have at 75? So, and I was just saying, going, how big, so my question to that argument is always, how big do you think God's grace is? Who, who is God? What do you think a God that is gracious and big and loving and would do? How, I don't think we have any idea how big God's grace is. Because C.S. Lewis said that when he gets to heaven one day, he's going to be surprised about three things. One, about who's there right? <laughs> Two, about who's not there. And three, if he's there. <laughs> right? And I don't think we have any idea how big God's grace is. Any idea, even to begin with. Um, and this is the life that we're invited into. God is so gracious to us. He is so gracious to me. He has so much mercy on me with all my bull crap. Who am I to, who am I to reject somebody? Who am I to not show mercy on somebody? Who am I not to have grace? Right? Who am I to do that? Nick taught the other day and he said, wouldn't it be interesting if you end up and go, you go to heaven and you rock up at the gate and they go, oh, sorry, your name is not on the list. Right? But luckily, there's a guy that comes out at the back of St. Peter and he says, oh, no, I know him. You know, I know Nick. Like, he showed mercy on me. You can let him in. That's fine. Like, what if that was, the, what if that was like the prerequisite to get in? <laughs> like, that, oh, I know that guy. He had grace when I messed up. Right? Wouldn't that be something? And in our country right now, let's talk about that, on our campuses, on everything, isn't this like the most relevant thing? Where you're not, it's not a quid pro quo. And it's not a, like, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's not what, it was, but what is my right. It goes, 
how do I show mercy? How do I show grace? How am I a peacemaker? How am I that? To return and remain in Jesus. Because that's a trick. In the garden, the fig tree doesn't have to do anything. Right? That's such a weird story. The fig tree does nothing. Jesus, who is the gardener, does everything. All the fig tree has to do is to do what trees does do best. Stand there. <laughs> right? Remain in one spot. It's like really easy to train a tree. Stay. So that's all you have to do is remain in Jesus. Remain in community here. Remain in prayer. Put yourself in the spaces where the Spirit is moving. And that's it. Isn't that incredible? That's the most beautiful thing ever. To choose to be gentle and kind and have grace, which is hard. I just freaked out not an hour ago on the stoop over there because I was so super angry about somebody messed up our stuff in the back there. But like, to be gentle. That's so what I want for me. To live well. And the more I think about our church, and the more I think about this community, I think this is what we need to be doing, is to be a community that chooses to live well and to live gently and to live with kindness and with mercy. And that would be really awesome. I want to finish. Sorry, I'm ranting. I want to finish with a text. It's in Colossians. Colossians also starts with the words grace and peace. Grace and peace. And um, it was a very interesting community. It's a very good book to read at a time like this because it was a community that had a lot of different cultures and different races all together. And Paul just writes about how awesome they are almost throughout the whole book going, I see the love between you. It's so amazing. It's so great. So let me read this for us as a benediction or as the last one. It says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, puts on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us, Lord, and thank you that you are with us and you teach us the way of peace. Thank you that there is still time for grace and still time for each of us to make a decision. Help us to choose the way of kindness and gentleness and not the way of hardness and strife and violence. Help us to forgive those who have sinned against us as you forgive us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you bind us together. Thank you that in this time of Lent we can just reflect anew again on what you have done for us. Help us to remain in your garden. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a good week.